Hi everyone and welcome to the First Thing You Think Of podcast. I'm Olivia, the founder of La Casa de Languas magazine, a bi-monthly magazine about languages and cultures. And I'm Ellie, the founder of the travel brand One Globe 360. So today, as we said last week, we're going to be looking at religious diversity in India and it's such a loaded topic, isn't it? There's so many things you could talk about. Um, but really, if we wanted to like keep this as short as possible <laughs> um, then we can only really have time today to talk about two so what we're going to be looking at today is we're going to be looking at a general kind of overview of religion in India, India as a secular state and then also looking at Hinduism and Islam in India as well as um, the tensions between these two religions and kind of how this has played out uh, kind of over the last two centuries. So I thought we'd sort of start by discussing religion in, in India today and sort of giving a bit more of some sort of background context to it all. So religion is taken far more seriously in India than it often is in the West and by virtually the entire population. Religious diversity has been a defining characteristic of India's population for centuries. Religion has historically influenced Indian society on a political, cultural and economic level. There is a sense of pride associated with the country's rich religious history as the traditions of Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism and Jainism all emerged out of India. So do you think that religion in India is viewed differently to religion in the UK? I think so. It's it's definitely one of the first things that I guess I think about when I, maybe if you said India to me, it was probably religion wouldn't be the first thing that I'd say. Like I do think of it as a very kind of just religious country. And, you know, what I first think of, and I think I said in the first episode about India is that it's, it seems to be very integrated in their way of life, just the way that the country works. And that's why I thought that it would be um, the best thing to talk about first, because I think it really gives you a different perspective on the country that you need to kind of understand the rest of the things that we're going to be talking about. And well, in terms of the UK, um, I feel like, you know, we are a Christian country you have the church of england and stuff like that and it's not that religion has like died out it's it's still prevalent but i don't think it's as strong as it was in the past and i think you can go about your day and doing things that are completely unrelated to any religions or any religious customs traditions or or things like that but i feel like just from looking at india it just seems so entwined in a way of life i don't think we have that same kind of religious values here in the uk yeah, I, I mean, I I agree. I mean, I was sort of thinking back to this whole thing of what's the first thing sort of I thought of when I think of, you know, when I thought of India. And obviously we talked about that in the last episode. And and for me, religion isn't the first thing I think of, but it's definitely up there in terms of maybe top five things that I that I think of when I when I sort of consider India and my experience of visiting India and what I've seen in the media on, on TV, that sort of thing. So yeah, I think in, you know religion does play a big part in in India in in terms of its culture and way of life and and that sort of thing. And obviously, I, I agree with what you said about the UK. I don't think religion plays as big of, of a role. However, that's coming from from my perspective, and and I'm not a, a particularly religious person, so perhaps that's that's why I have that view. Yeah. If, you, if we spoke to someone that was very religious, they'd probably say, "Oh, well, religion is a big part of of the UK. Religion is a big part of my life." So. Yeah. I think it's probably just biased to to my perspective in the fact as like I said I'm not a particularly religious person so I think religion does play a, a role definitely a, a key role in in the UK um, but it's not something I'm massively aware of just because like I said I'm not particularly religious my family aren't particularly religious not many of my friends are, are particularly religious so 
it's probably just what I've been exposed to really I mean obviously I learned about religion at school um, and lots of different religions um, but yeah I'd say when we compare like India and the UK perhaps we have this opinion because you know well like you know like I said for me I'm not particularly religious so um, that's why I sort of I guess have that view. Yeah and that, I think that's an interesting point there isn't it it's like if you to ask me or you like how important is religion in the UK where we would say well I could go about my day and not think about religion at all or how it impacts people's lives because it personally doesn't impact mine but I can think maybe of uh, one friend that I had or, or maybe two friends that I had that if you were to ask them they would say well religion is a very important part of living here in the UK because well it you know they went to church every Sunday and a lot of the things that they did and just the way that they were as people you know it was always at the forefront of their mind in the way that they acted and stuff like that so I think it is you know it depends on who you ask here in the UK isn't it but maybe obviously you know we're saying this is just just guessing but maybe if you to ask someone from India that maybe the perspective obviously would be change a little bit amongst person to person but maybe we generally have this kind of same idea that it, it is important and as well like why do you think that it's so important in India maybe not in the UK or not so much in other countries like I don't know if there's a right answer to this but it makes me think like why does it why is India different in this sense like is it something mm-hmm. about its culture is it like I don't know I feel like this is this, I don't believe this but I feel like for some people if a country is deeply religious for some people it feels as though that the country hasn't developed if that makes sense mm-hmm. I think for me like initially thinking sort of what you know about the question you just said is the first thing that comes to mind is that it's quite or perhaps it could be like a generational thing so because it, it's so yeah. deeply sort of ingrained in 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 families and generations um you know if if you've got parents for example that are deeply religious it's very likely that for their children they will grow up with religion as a big part of their lives and because of that they then become or well, not always but then they are likely then to be to also be also be deeply religious and and follow the you know the, the customs traditions the festivals and all those sorts of things um so yeah maybe in india it's more of a generational thing and it's because it's such a big part of everyone's life it seems it just carries on generation after generation and maybe here in the uk it's not as much i mean again this is coming from my perspective of someone that that isn't you know particularly involved in in a religion or religious traditions and festivals and things like that so it's just my perspective but maybe because it's so deeply ingrained in in society and culture in India maybe that's that's why I mean it's probably got so such deep you know historical roots to it um I mean as it does here in the UK I'm sure with any with any religion there are deep historical roots to it um so yeah I don't know the only thing I can really say is maybe it's a just a, a deep generational thing in India and that's why it's so prevalent in terms of the the amount of people who follow a religion and you know who are religious but yeah like I said that's coming from me someone who who doesn't know you know too much about about you know religion and, and following a religion so um that's the only thing I could really think about really yeah like when you were saying that now I was thinking well maybe it's because um kind of like the evolution of religion is so integral in terms of India as you said at the start I don't know I think it was like it was a lot of religions wasn't it Hinduism Buddhism Sikhism and Jainism they all emerged out of India so maybe because it's so kind of intertwined into that history that 
it's so important for them to keep it on today. But then I was thinking, you know, religion is so into our history as well, isn't it? In the UK, um, maybe it's everyone just has different values. Every kind of like, you know, country develops at a different pace, like or develops in different ways, isn't it? You can develop in a religious sense. You could develop in, I don't know how we describe how we've developed as the UK, but we've we moved away a bit from religion, haven't we? Um, I think personally. Um, yeah, yeah definitely. I don't think it's as important in terms of like government and stuff like that and politics as maybe it, it does seem to be in terms of India. Yeah. And I think as well, what might play a role in it is that obviously we're in a very different part of the world than, than India is. And I don't know, but that type of part of the world, um, that to me, it kind of makes it, it seems like, it, like religion plays more of a role in that, that part of the world than it does maybe in, in this part of Europe. Maybe that could could play a role there but yeah do you think it maybe shows that I don't know it's just that they value religion more than maybe yeah. we do yeah I mean it's, it's interesting you mentioned Europe as well I just wanted to pick up on that point um I've, I've learned quite a lot about you know I study Spanish and within studying Spanish I've learned quite a lot about Spain as a whole in terms of culture religion history all those topics like that and um you know Spain has really seen a, a decrease in in yeah people following religion you know um because you know people being catholic um in spain and um especially amongst younger generations i remember when i was studying my a levels um at school a couple you know a couple of years ago and we, we learned so much about the role that religion plays in society nowadays in spain and the role it played you know 20 30 years ago um and it's changed a lot really younger people are, are not following uh religion in the same way that their parents did or that their grandparents did so maybe it's yeah like you said it's 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 where we are in the world maybe in europe i'm again making a big generalization here obviously it's not doesn't apply to every country but you know that seems to be very similar you know comparing the uk and spain in terms of perhaps moving away slightly from such a focus on on religion and then you've got you know india and I know a lot of countries in Asia and Southeast Asia, you know, deeply religious countries. I know when I went to Thailand, for example, very, you know, religious country. Um, yeah. So, yeah, maybe it's just just different parts of, parts of the world and sort of how these countries have evolved and the values that people have and people's priorities in life. I don't know if people's priorities change. I know, obviously, if you follow a religion, it can be, you know, it, it's it's a big part of people's lives and um you know going to going to, to church or going you know to to a mosque or you know prayer and and all those festivals and everything that's evolved with following a religion maybe I don't know maybe some people decide they'd like to spend their time doing other things or they've got different priorities I don't know like I said I can only speak from sort of an outside perspective looking in um but it's interesting isn't it trying to trying to figure out why why in Spain why in the UK is religion not why does it not play as big a role now as I think it did in the past? And why in India does it still play such a big role? Interesting to think. And I'm probably not saying any of the sort of right answers. I'm just sort of, you know, guessing it as such. But yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. And, and just sort of, again, you know, you're talking about, talked about how much of a role it plays in sort of Indian daily life. You know, there's, you know, temple ceremonies, festivals, pilgrimages, family religious traditions, you know, while Hinduism has been the dominant religion for several thousand years, we also need to remember that Buddhism, Christianity, Islam, Jainism and Sikhism have also flourished. Um, and then sort of think this made me sort of think, you know, what 
what did the role what was the role of religion in, in a sort of Indian culture and society when I went there you know I've, like I've mentioned I went to to India a couple of years ago um, and sort of thinking what religion would I say was sort of the most evident whilst I was there and for me I would say Hinduism um, was probably most evident in terms of as I was sort of around India and traveling around and speaking to people um, but yeah, I mean, for me, obviously, India has some beautiful temples and I tried as much as I could to sort of find out some more information about the temples when I visited and, and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say religion played like a massive part of my trip, if that makes sense. It, it, yeah. I didn't learn too much about it. If I went back, I, it's something I'd like to learn more about. Um, but yeah, I would probably say Hinduism was probably the religion that I learned most about when I visited. But I mean, you could speak to probably another traveller who's been to India and they'd probably say something different. So perhaps that was just my personal experience. Um, but yeah, what, what do you think about all this? Well, it got me thinking, like, I know when I was researching this, not just now, but like all the times before, for me, it always felt so overwhelming to read about it, particularly Hinduism, because you had all of these big words, all of these different gods, and it's always really difficult for me to just kind of try to even understand it. Do you think there's like this culture shock for those of us who live like in the UK and obviously like other countries around the world as well, like the US, whatever? Do you think there's like that culture shock when we see all of these kind of like religious terminology related to to Hinduism other religions in India do you think it's difficult for like for us to understand um that's a really interesting question um because obviously culture shock is you know it's very real and I've experienced culture shock with lots of different countries I've been to around the world um I don't know I feel like for me I've experienced culture shock in different ways and religion hasn't been one of those if that makes sense so I've experienced culture shock in terms of I don't know, maybe, you know, language and feeling sort of out of my depth with being able to communicate with people or culture shock in terms of, um, well, for me, that stands out with India, the culture shock that, that sort of got me was um, sort of driving around and the traffic and all the cars and the noise and everything <laughs> like that. For me, that was like the most cult- bit of culture shock. So I don't know, for me, like I said, I don't think I learned enough about religion whilst I was in India for it to be a culture shock, if that makes sense. And I have never, yeah. I've never learned as much to to sort of feel like it's a culture shock if that makes sense I feel like yeah. if I went if I went back and I was exposed to to more information and I went and saw more sort of temples and some of the religious festivals perhaps then I would be really taken aback by just how you know prevalent it is in in India but but at the moment no I, I wouldn't say that it's it would hit me as a culture shock what about you yeah like as you said there it's like you know you didn't learn enough and I think that's the thing it's like you know you're not going to go to India and instantly come back and know all of the names of all the gods and all of their traditions and stuff like that I mean like that is just something that you're going to learn through education isn't it like Mm -hmm. yeah you know I guess the only I mean like seeing the temple isn't going to be a culture shock you know like I guess it's more um it's maybe easy to understand not when you just so not easy hard to understand not when you see like those religious stuff but when you go to maybe learn it about it because like I don't know like maybe this is just my naivety or because I just found it difficult to understand is like I do feel like Hinduism it did I couldn't really see it was difficult to like you know like before when we've been talking about Brazil for example talking about um 
Brazil's past dictatorship you know we use kind of Hitler to try and understand it for me when I was trying to understand Hinduism like I couldn't uh, use what I knew about Christianity for example to understand it so again I think maybe that shock kind of comes when you try to to read into it a bit more rather than like mm-hmm. going to India and being like oh what is this yeah no definitely I mean there's just there's so much to it isn't there that there's not you know religion has so many different uh, you know p- parts of history to it parts of the culture I mean obviously ev- every religion is different and you know obviously today we're going to be taking a, a particular focus on Hinduism and, and Islam um, so should we start by sort of talking about about Hinduism in India because um, obviously yeah, yeah as we've already spoken about you know it's very important to stress that many religions you know, that many religions reside in India um, but yeah we'll be taking a particular focus on Hinduism and Islam as the relationship that these two have with each other in India has been fundamental to the growth of the country and, and even other countries as well. Um, so I know we've got a, a little bit of information about, about Hinduism in India. Do you want to sort of share that with us? Yeah, so I guess it's not surprising to say that like Hinduism is the most widely followed uh, religion of India. According to the um, uh, 2011 National Census of India, 966.3 million people identified as Hindu, um, which uh, represents um, nearly 80% of the population. And India also has a 94% of the global Hindu population, which is the world's largest um, Hindu population in, in any specific country. And I think what's um, important that to kind of keep in mind is that like India is so vast like 80% of the population being Hindu is not like 80% of the UK population being Hindu. I think, yeah, I think it's right, isn't it, to keep a perspective because obviously India's population is so many times greater than um, than the population yeah. here in the UK. I don't know the exact number. Um, I know like in last episode, we did a few sort of facts and figures about just how much bigger in- India is than sort of the UK. Yeah. Um and obviously we've got this caste system, which is, um, you know, a key example of the presence of Hinduism in, in Indian society. So what I'll do is I'll just sort of talk a bit about some some background context to the caste system um, and just, yeah, we can sort of uh, break it down and, and discuss it. Um, so the roots of the caste system are very deep in Indian society. The ancient Varna scheme is supposed to be the basis of the caste system. India's caste system is among the world's oldest forms of surviving social stratification. The system which divides Hindus into rigid hierarchical, hierarchical, sorry, hierarchical, I can't even say that word, hierarchical group. Hierarchical. There we go, got it. (laughs) Based on their karma, which is work, dharma, the Hindi word for religion, but here it means duty, is generally accepted to be more than 3,000 years old. For centuries, caste has dictated almost every aspect of Hindu religious and social life, with each group occupying a specific place in this complex hierarchy. It is a hereditary system in that people are believed to be born into a family of a specific caste. Each caste has specific duties they're expected to uphold as part of their social standing. For instance, a member of the Brahmin caste may be expected to attend to religious affairs, affairs such as learning religious texts and performing rituals, while avoiding duties outside of their caste, such as cleaning. Rural communities have long been arranged on the basis of castes. The upper and lower castes almost always lived in segregated um, colonies. The water wells were not shared. Brahmins would not accept food or drink from the Shudras, and one could only marry only within one's caste. The system bestowed many privileges on the upper castes while sanctioning repression of the lower castes by privileged groups. Often criticised for being unjust and regressive, it remained virtually unchanged for centuries, 
trapping people into fixed social orders from which it was impossible to escape. So do you think this shows just how deep-rooted Hinduism is in Indian society? I think so. It's quite obvious, isn't it? Like, you know, those different things, like the um, the different types of members and stuff like that, and like you said as well, didn't it? Like how they can only marry with it. Is it like within the same people, like kind of like, I guess, like social status is the way that we kind yeah. of relate to it. Um, mm-hmm. I guess it does, isn't it? Like, I can't think of... I can't think of like anything in the UK that's remotely similar to that. We just, and obviously the UK isn't predominantly Hindu. So I think that just goes to show, doesn't it? Like, yeah, I don't know if there's much to say about that. I think that's quite obvious. Yeah, I mean, it definitely does show how deep-rooted it is. And, you know, another thing we wanted to talk about was, you know, do we think this could make it difficult for other religions in India to exist? I mean, perhaps, yes. I mean, obviously this this system is, you know, it's, was approximately 3000 years old. So obviously it's so deep rooted, you know, linking to the previous question, so deep rooted in in Indian society that perhaps it could make it more difficult for other religions to exist because maybe, you know, Hinduism is so, you know, so prevalent, you know, it's, yeah, there's so much history to it. It's such a, a fundamental part of people's lives and so many people's lives. And obviously you've just spoken about how many people are Hindu in India. And if that many people, you know, that overwhelming majority of people who are um, who, who are Hindu, um, perhaps it could make it difficult. What, what do you think? Do you think that despite obviously how many people are Hindu in India and despite obviously the deep rooted nature of this caste system, do you think still other religions can, you know, continue to exist um, and sort of evolve in, in India? What I was just thinking of was that like, is every Hindu person going to follow this in India? I mean, it's so easy to just think that when researching it because, well, things that you you read aren't going to list all of the exceptions, are they? But, I mean, yeah, that's what got me thinking. Like, are they all going to follow it? Um, I'm not too sure. But if this is something that is followed by, you know, the vast majority, I think it would make it quite difficult for others to exist because there's virtually no mixing between other religions in a way like you know they can only marry mm-hmm. within people of that same kind of like social status and you know it's it's so deep rooted into it and I think I read something as well that it's also like something to do with the government related to this and actually we'll go on to talk about that later how it how it impacts religion in India in a in a wider scale and how it makes it more complicated which I think we'll just put this into perspective but I guess it just means how deep-rooted it is if it's like deep-rooted into government and deep-rooted into the workings of the country then it's going to obviously make it really difficult for other religions even if it doesn't like systematically make it uh, difficult for them even just that feeling of like not feeling welcomed can make it difficult and like increase tensions what's also really interesting um to talk about with this is you know i know we've just talked about the idea of culture shock and if we sort of felt culture shock sort of when sort of um learning more about just how prevalent religion is in india and um you know specifically you know hinduism and you know, I would say more so with this, this to me is more of a culture shock, learning more about the caste system and what it means and what it entails and how people have to live their lives under the system. So to me, this is more of a culture shock. What about you? Like, do you think it would be acceptable for this to exist in the UK today? Yeah, like with a lot of things that we've been talking about before, you know, we always try to find that um, you know, equivalent in our culture, isn't it? To just help us and to understand it and for everyone else as well. 
but I really couldn't and I was thinking of again social class and there's always going to exist a social class in the country isn't it even if it's not as prevalent or like as maybe it was in the past like I think in the past in the UK I think social class was a lot more prevalent then than what it is now maybe it's it's prevalent but in like a different way I guess um but I don't think it's it's to the same extent as this is in India in terms of what we're talking about now um I think that makes it really difficult to understand and I think the difficulty there is that if you well because we haven't grown up in this in the same type of thing as what this what we're talking about now in India I think it's so easy to just be like oh my gosh that's wrong what are they doing and that's the difficulty of it isn't it when you don't learn about it and you don't learn about their culture I think mm-hmm. maybe that's where the culture shock with Hinduism comes in maybe not so much about um you know like what I was saying before about feeling overwhelmed by the information but rather about how it it goes into their way of life and I think it's when we see the way of life in India for Hindus and when we see it for us here in the UK I think that is when the culture shock comes in and it's this idea of you know just because we personally can't understand it having grown up you know being you know as we grew up surrounded by British culture doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong well I think it's difficult for us to say whether it's right or wrong isn't it because it's not it's not a part of our our culture here in 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 the UK and obviously like I've said I'm, I'm not personally religious so it's quite hard for for me to maybe personally fully understand um I mean it doesn't yeah is, is it right or wrong I don't think it, it's it, I don't think it's my place to say whether it's right or wrong because obviously it's not I don't follow the the religion and I'm I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not Hindu I, I don't you know I haven't ever lived under this this system so I think for me it's really just to educate myself that's the, the best thing I can do in this instance is just educate myself and um I don't know really I mean it, this is also new to me I, I haven't really fully sort of looked whether it's in the media of like whether it's right or wrong or what people think about it do you know what I mean it's not something yeah. I've really seen much about so for me does it necessarily mean that it's wrong I don't I don't know I mean it, it would be like I said I think it'd be wrong to me to cast opinion on something that I have never lived through or that I've never yeah. experienced if that makes sense um and you know it is it's hard isn't it trying to find the equivalent of, of something you know here in the UK that we might be able to compare it to um but in this instance I think it's very unique to to Hinduism, isn't it? And very unique to to India as well. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's just really interesting to sort of find out maybe, you know, more sort of deeper information about Hinduism as a religion. I think the thing to keep in mind is that there's there's going to be culture shocks between every different culture, isn't it, and country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's going to be culture shocks within a country, you know, especially in a, um, you know, one that's so vast, like, like India, um, you know, thinking about Brazil as well, how many different people from different cultures and countries reside in Brazil, there's going to be culture shocks even within countries. Mm-hmm. And just like, we might look at, at aspects of Indian culture and not understand it and think, what are they doing? I'm sure there's, there's Indians who look at us like that. And it doesn't mean that either are wrong, just sometimes, um, maybe, for example, if, <laughs> everyone in the UK went to live in India and everyone in India came to live in the UK maybe we'd see why we both live very different lives because maybe the way that Indians live suits their country whereas it wouldn't suit the UK and vice versa so you know it's it's something that works both ways isn't it yeah definitely I mean it's above all I think it's this idea of like perspective isn't it and I know we talk about the word perspective quite a lot it's just like 
making our perspective that bit wider through educating ourselves and this is exactly what we're trying to do through this podcast and I hope for the listeners that this is really interesting and insightful in terms of just finding out more information about about um you know about Hinduism and about the, the caste system and and just sort of recognizing really what you know what what life's like in India and what life's like for, for people who follow you know Hinduism in in India um I know we 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 said we were you know going to talk about Islam as well in India and obviously talking about the the two religions so do you want to sort of give a bit more sort of context to Islam in India I know, I know we've got some sort of uh, facts and figures about about Islam yeah so Islam is the second largest uh, religion in India and it's about 14 percent of the country's population which is approximately about 172.2 million people identifying as um, followers of Islam again in the 200 uh, 2011 census so the majority of Indian Muslims belong to the Sunni sect of Islam um, while the Shia form a sizable majority as well so Islam reached India in the very early period of the country and it is believed to be um, one of Prophet Muhammad's companions who came to India's west coast in the 7th century and built a mosque there in uh, 629 EC um, and that mosque still exists and I know for me when looking at this I was basically quite surprised that Islam has been in India for so long. Yeah I mean that just got me thinking really I guess it's something I've never I've never really thought about to be honest so I think it, it now I've you've said you know you know 629 EC and you know 7th century it does actually surprise me I mean that's a, a really 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 long time ago um so it does show that Islam has been in India for for a very long time and yeah I guess I'm a bit surprised really what what, what do you think more more to that I mean it's again it's something I, I've never really thought about so I've just sort of learned it now but I, I would say yeah I am quite surprised I think it kind of like it, I don't know if it's right to say a stereotype but I think it's like we think of um maybe we think of India and maybe the first thing that we think of is kind of these things in their society that is more linked to Hinduism than it is to Islam and mm-hmm. so it's maybe not even something that a lot of people are like sat down and thought about or like you know I wonder when Islam came to India you know I don't think it's that type of thing but I think it just it goes against this kind of preconception that we've obviously subconsciously had for a long time and that when we actually find like stuff like this out we're like oh so like it's not like a new thing or something like that it's been there for quite a long time and for Mm -hmm. me just thinking about it now it raises that question of if it's been there for so long why is why is Hinduism the main religion? Like, obviously, Islam is quite big, but I would have thought that it would be bigger if it's, like, has that, like, roots in that country for so long. That's that's maybe an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, that, that's really... I didn't even, I guess, even think about that again as well. Yeah. You know, obviously, if it's been, you know, a, a religion, it's been in India for so long, why, yeah, potentially, why are there not more more followers in India or... Is there another reason? Is there sort of a geographic reason to it? Is there, is there another historical reason as to why potentially there are more followers of Islam in another country yeah. compared to India? Maybe there's other factors. Actually, what we might go on to talk about later in this, that might be um, part of an answer to it, maybe. Um, so it'd be interesting to kind of go back and kind of like see if that could like give a reason to it, which would be interesting. But what is actually surprising now is that 
Islam is the fastest growing religion in India. And so the growth rate of Muslims has been consistently higher than the growth rate of Hindus ever since um, the census data of independent India has been available. So, for example, during the 1991 um, to 2001 decades, um, Muslim growth rate was 29.5% against 19.9% for Hindus. So, yeah, it's it's surprising. Just like what I just said now is why it's growing now. You know? Yeah, I mean, again, if you'd said to me Islam is the fastest growing religion in India, I would have been quite surprised, really. Obviously, I think, again, it's this stereotype, isn't it? Because I feel like we have got a perception that the Hinduism is is the, you know, obviously, and, and it is the the most followed religion in India, as, as you've said, with, by the, you know, the statistics. Um, but to hear that Islam is the fastest growing, yeah, is somewhat surprising. Um, what what did you think initially when when you heard that Islam is the fastest growing religion in India? Yeah, for some reason, I I wouldn't have thought that it would be. I don't know why. Again, there's not. I think sometimes when we have these kind of reactions to things, it's not that there's um, you know a reason why we have them. It's just kind of that subconscious preconceptions that we that we have and I guess that's the whole thing of why we're doing this podcast isn't it to like break those down and sometimes there's not a reason why we have these preconceptions or why we're surprised by certain things it's just because we've never been exposed to the other side of things and I guess now that we're being exposed to kind of like the story of Islam in India that's when it's kind of coming through isn't it that we're kind of learning about this and uh, we're kind of breaking kind of like what we subconsciously thought because we were uneducated on it but yeah it does surprise me and again I'm not too sure why I mean I mean we're we're going to talk now about you know it all links it all you know together about you know secularism in India and you know considering the statistics and you know what we've already spoken about and our own personal views um what would you you think the religious status of India would be and why do you why would you think this or why obviously what you're going to say next why do you have that opinion well if I was to like take away the fact that obviously I know that India is secular I would personally I would think that it would have an official religion and I would <laughs> think that it would be Hinduism yeah I was quite surprised when I learned that it was secular because I thought with a country that you know is so religious I thought that it would have an official religion yeah me too. Me too. I, I agree. I, I think it, I uh, again, it's not something I've particularly thought too much about, but oh, yeah, yeah. thinking about it now, um, I, I agree. I would think that it, w- it would be a, a Hindu Hindu country. Um, again, that's just, you know, that's my, my misconception. That's a stereotype. I, I, I expect maybe a few other people that that if we spoke to would, would probably say the same. Um, but yeah, I would. I, I was surprised to, to hear it, it was secular as well. Um, so I'll just give a bit more information about uh, secularism in India. So the 42nd Amendment of the Constitution of India in 1976 made India a secular country. Although it was largely present um, by 1950 when the drafted Constitution of India came into effect. At this time, the draft didn't include the word secular. This was only added in 1976. The motives behind this was because the founders of the Constitution of India envisaged a country where no one is discriminated against on the basis of religion, caste, creed or gender. This means that there is equal respect and recognition for all religions by the state, no discrimination by the state on the basis of religion, non-interference in the functioning of any religion by the state, no official religion in India, and an individual has the right to practice, propagate and profess any religion. 
Can you understand then now, after sort of me having read this, why India is a secular country? Yeah, because I, I was thinking, you know, after I was saying what I would have thought the religious status of India would be, is that maybe in a country that has got so many followers of different religions in it that it is better to kind of have this I guess maybe the way to describe it is kind of like a detached view when it comes to the government you know just to be respectful because I think in a country that is so religiously diverse like India if you were to favor one religion over the other then you are excluding like a massive majority of the population aren't you Mm -hmm. um so I can understand why a country like India would want to take um a sec like a secular would want to have secularist views um I can definitely understand it but it does still surprise me I guess because that kind of preconception of but you know it's so religious I would have thought that it would have had but I can understand it and like do you think that it's it's a good thing that India is secular and just obviously this is quite difficult to talk about because we don't know like the workings of I personally I don't know how it all works I'm sure it's mm-hmm. it's a lot more like and difficult than just saying okay now we're a country that doesn't have an official religion I'm sure it's a lot more complicated than that but on this basis of what we know just being the government being attached from like church or anything like that um, and just staying away from religious matters do you think that that's a good thing to have in a country that's so religiously diverse like India? Yeah, I, I I do think so. And like, you know, like I'll say, obviously, I don't understand a lot, a lot of this, you know, secularism in India. This is some of the first sort of information I'm I'm learning about it. But the opinion I'll, I'll offer is of, yes, I, I do. I do believe that, that this is a good thing. I mean, this idea of, you know, equal respect and recognition for all religions by the state, no discrimination by the state on the basis of religion, non-interference, you know an individual has the right to practice propagate and profess any religion i think that's that's i think that's really good i think it's it's going to have caused fewer conflicts between this you know the government and religions or between different religions together you know because the, the government are basically saying um if you follow hinduism you can follow obviously follow hinduism if you, if you want to follow islam follow islam you know they're not offering yeah. a a one-sided opinion which could cause conflicts or tensions because if the government sort of came out and said oh we are a a hindu country that potentially could cause conflict between people who follow islam people who follow you know sikhism for example so i think because it's being so open i think it's it's a very open-minded um decision to make and i think it probably has helped religion in india since it's since this decision was made so you know 1976 was when it was it became a secular country so I think this open-minded view from the government I personally think is quite a good thing it's basically saying you follow whichever religion you want to follow and and that's absolutely fine it's interesting that you say that actually because this just shows like how important it is to be educated on every part of it so I'm really glad you said that it sounds good doesn't it the values it sounds good but like I think it's just a little bit too good to be true. Yeah, I I can see that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like if you think about it, can it be possible for a country to be completely secular? I don't think it is personally. Like I'm thinking about um, France, which is probably the one that's in the news a lot more. Like they are bringing in these new laws, but a lot of them, they go against the values of Islam. But personally in the news, again, I know this is the news, so you keep that in mind. But I haven't heard of anything going against Christians or mm-hmm. anything like that. You know, I, I think it's 
it's difficult for a country to not be involved in with religion at all and I think it'd be even more difficult for a country like India where it's so intertwined in you know their way of life to not be influenced um like at a state level by religion because you've got to think of as well is like the people who run in the government they are people themselves when they go home they've got their own religions yeah how is it mm-hmm. possible for that to even like subconsciously not influence the way that they're running the country a specific a spe- specific example um recently that's happened in happened in india um you know i know it's linking to the to the pandemic but it, it really does focus on this idea of, of religion as well and specifically hinduism so um I don't know if the listeners I mean, are aware, that, but obviously the pandemic right now, it's India in a, a really big second wave. And it, I mean, it's awful to see on the news, you know, they're having 300,000 plus cases every day at the moment. And um, the government have come under criticism recently because they allowed, um, I believe it was a Hindu religious festival to take place, which obviously led to mass, mass gatherings of, of Indian people. Um, and it just, I don't know, it just made me think, you know, the government's decision to allow this would they have allowed uh, a religious event for people who follow Islam, for example, or Sikhism? It just made me think. And is that showing a bias from the government towards Hinduism by allowing this festival, religious festival, festival to take place at a time where, you know, India was getting into a very a sort of a, a, a worrying situation with regards to the pandemic. If it was a, uh, you know, a religious event with Islam, would the government have taken the same steps or would they have banned the event and said, no, the pandemic getting worse, we're, we're, we're not allowing this event to happen? Do you know, do you see what I mean? Do you think yeah. that would show some bias towards Hinduism? Because, yeah, okay. I mean, I mean, obviously, I, I'm, I, I don't know if the government would have banned an event for, you know, Islam, for example, that hasn't happened. There's no evidence of that. But it just, I'm sort of, throwing it, I guess, onto the table, that idea of potential bias towards Hinduism because they've allowed this event to carry on, although India is in such a bad position with the pandemic at the moment. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you brought that up, actually, because that is the next thing I was going to bring up. Um, so I'm just going to give a little bit of um, kind of background information uh, behind the current party that is leading in India today. So under the populist rule of, again, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but I think it's Modi, India has drifted away from secularism. So this has accelerated since his uh, re-election in May 2019 um, to when he has he's going to have now an, another five-year term um, with 20% of Indians who belong to the minority faiths as well as secular-minded liberals increasingly becoming concerned that he's determined to make India an explicitly Hindu state. So um, before entering politics, um, Modi had actually served for more than a decade as a monk-like acolyte of India's um, biggest Hindu uh, national group. And he has reportedly made political profit by posing as the champion protector of endangered Hindus. And as chief minister, um, I think it's Guraja, Guraj, oh gosh, but anyway, um, he has made a little effort to stop communal rioting that has left perhaps around 2,000 people dead, and most of these um, people are Muslims, and soon after this, he was re-elected by a bigger margin in India's elections. 
So the current party that is in power in India today is goes by uh, BGP. And after leading these to national power in 2014, he's overseen a quiet purge of um, secularists from top positions. So three quarters of his government today once served in the same Hindi, uh, Hindu nationalist group as himself. So they repeatedly have tried to push policies that make India's 200 million Muslims feel weak. And these include strip, uh, stripping India's only Muslim majority region. I think it's Jammu, Sadas and Kashmir um, of statehood and um, cheering a court ruling that granted Hindus ownership of a site claimed to be the birthplace of the god Ram, um, where a fanatical mob had torn down um, a 16th century mosque in 1992. So, yeah, it just goes back to that thing of like, as I was saying before, these people, they go home and they, although they work in government, they have their own personal lives as well. And in a country that's so religious like India, I would be quite surprised if they didn't have their own personal religious faiths, you know. So that's obviously is going to affect their, the way that they rule the country, isn't it? Even if it's subconsciously. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it's going to lead us to some, some bias, you know, like like you said, it might be subconscious, but there definitely will be an element of bias towards their own personal, you know, religious faith. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously I, I have, have, have my opinion and now, now you've read this, it's actually given me more of an understanding of actually this whole idea of India being secular isn't actually quite what it appears to be, is it really? Yeah. If you compare the, the whole idea of equal respect and recognition for all religions by the state, no discrimination by the state, that's what they're saying on the surface. But actually, if you look below the surface, this is the reality of what's happening, right? This idea of, um, you know, stripping India's only Muslim majority region, Jammu and Kashmir of statehood, you know, and um, all these things, well, all these things you've just read out, really. So it's given me that other other perspective of India being a secular country. And um, this is the whole thing about, about the podcast, isn't it? Is seeing both sides of the story. We're, we're seeing both sides of it now, um, which is educating me on this whole idea of secularism in general. Um, you know, in terms of, I know we've spoken about France um, and you, you brought up the, obviously it's in the media a lot at the moment about France and France itself being a, as it says, secular country. Um, do you think there's a link here? Do you think so we can take comparisons between the two countries in terms of how they're viewing themselves being a secular country yeah the particular one that I thought of when researching this was that as he said you know something about um 2000 mostly Muslims being dead um and he didn't kind of stop the writing with that um as we'll go on to talk about there's been a lot of tensions and they particularly have with Muslims and in France as well, although France is said to be um, a secular country, well, it is a secular country, but you know, it's been in the news. Um, it is Muslims that are at the receiving end of the problems. And again, in India here, a secular country, but it's Muslims again who are at the receiving end of the problems. And that for me, that was the link that I make. Why is it Muslims? Again, I don't know if there's an exact answer to that. I can't give it. I don't think you'd be able to either. But that was an interesting kind of just um, thing that I noticed that is is Muslims as well. You know, there are other challenges to secularism in India. And as we were talking about the the caste system, um, you know, if that is such 
it's difficult for us to say it's a big part of Indian society and culture, you know, because again, it's 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 just difficult for us to make that observation. As we've seen with like secularism, you know, you saw it and thought that's that's a great thing. And then when we saw it in reality, it wasn't the same. So it's, again, it's important to keep that in mind, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. You know, if that is so integral to society and the vast majority of Indians are Hindus, then it is like statistically more likely that they're going to be affected by the system and if you've got people who are running the country who are affected by that system then it's kind of like it's difficult for that to not have an influence on the country so when researching this actually um, I found that the policies in India especially at state level cannot be understood without the study of the case um, in that particular state so there are some political parties which are organized to represent the case um, thus uh, case consciousness has become the very core of Indian pol- uh, uh, policies and it has become the greatest roadblock to f- um, kind of uh, continuing with secularism and you know, making sure that it's successful in India. So, as I've said, you know, the current government in India today is an example of this. They are a Hindi, or Hindu nationalist party. So, yeah, I think it's it's so difficult, isn't it? Like, when you've got religion being so intertwined in your own culture, to then say, okay, but those in government, you've got to stay away from it. You know, it's you know the case system, as we've spoken about, it's it seems to be when looking at it so integral into that society and culture especially with you know hinduism being the main the main religion you know um it yeah for me that seems like an obvious challenge Mm -hmm. yeah i mean there's there's always going to be this idea of sort of this subconscious bias right and obviously if they're called the the hindu nationalist party well it says it in the name doesn't it you know it's it's evident that um you know india is not as not the secular country they probably want to potentially portray to the rest of the world, if that makes sense. Like yeah. they probably trying to portray themselves as a secular country, but obviously as we've, we've read today, and as you've said, you know, with some of the facts and figures, um, it's not quite the reality of the situation in, in, in India in terms of this whole idea that the government respects all religions, the government uh, doesn't discriminate, you know, people, you know, with, to get against people who have different religions, for example, um so it's keeping into perspective this idea that there always will be this sort of yeah subconscious sort of bias towards you know one particular religion and and in this case in India with the Hindu Nationalist Party um you know like I said it says it in the name doesn't it they're they're going to have some sort of some bias towards towards Hinduism um there's also um something called obscurantism I've definitely said that wrong obscurantism (laughs) <laughs> uh, which basically is in all religions there are um obscurantist elements that can make <laughs> obstacles in the way of evolution of human and dynamic social order very very aware that i've completely messed up that word but we'll go with it so it is because of obs- obscurantism that the people give more importance to customs and traditions rather than reason the indian people regardless of whether they are hindu muslim christian for example, are traditional in their outlook and see many of the things through their traditions and customs. So do you think religious diversity overall is an asset to India? Well, yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, it, it obviously is. I guess it's it's difficult for any type of diversity not to be an asset. And I think if you're saying that it's not, then it's like, 
you know I guess in a way it's for some people that could be offensive like I guess I'm not too sure but like it's difficult for them not to be an asset isn't it like you know just think about how much um diversity contributes to a society you know yeah. like mm-hmm. I'm just thinking now from like things that I did like recently for like my a-level stuff in with france um we're looking at like astronomy and had to like research um facts about it and stuff like that and one of the points that i had about it was that you know um kind of like the immigration from algeria has brought over um loads of different things i think it brought over like couscous or something like that um and it brings so much like so much to a culture and to not have that just think if we were to take away all of the cultural influences you know from our culture you know we we just there would not be half as much left yeah what would we be left with yeah 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 um and actually there was um an article that was written for the magazine once and it was like linguistic purism and I think that's a nice way to kind of put it. And that is basically when we're talking about that in terms of English, it's taken away all of the foreign influences um, away from the English language. There are actually people who think that we should do that. And when there was the example of what I think it was the US constitution would be if it was um, written without any foreign influences, honestly, I could not understand it. <laughs> um and this, that just shows like how much diversity and how much influences from other countries and cultures mm-hmm. brings yeah. to a country. And to not to say that that's not an asset is, you know, it's it's you can't I can't really understand how it, you could say that it's not an asset. But I do think mm-hmm. in terms of like ways of life, sometimes it could make it that bit different, more difficult. And I think maybe in India, like from what we've spoken about, maybe that could be a little bit more evident, isn't it? Like at state level um to kind of be inclusive to all like on like completely and equally it that's really difficult isn't it yeah i mean it's like they said they the their idea of, of secularism that they i guess have portrayed through the sort of constitution or you know in india was this idea of not discriminating and obviously being open to many different religions um yeah i mean it's, it's so interesting isn't it I think religious diversity is definitely an asset to India. And I think, do the government view it in that way? I don't know. Obviously, we're hearing, you know, some particular sort of tensions, I guess, between, um, you know, the government and and people, some people who follow uh, Islam, uh, for example. So I think overall, I mean, I think diversity should always be celebrated. And I think religious diversity brings so much to India as a country you know, with regards to its culture and the festivals and traditions and and everything that's celebrated, you know, regardless of, of which religion it is, you know, I think India is is obviously it's, it's it's well known to be, you know, a religious, a very religious country. And obviously we've learned today just how diverse that religious sort of, I guess, structure and focus that that is, you know, that India has. Um, so it's interesting, isn't it? What would the government say about that? Would they say that their religious diversity is an asset or or would they say otherwise? What do you think? From hearing how the government have responded to, for example, uh, Islam, do you think that they would think that their religious diversity is an asset? Well, kind of like from what I get from it is that they feel threatened by this increase of um, 
um, Muslims in the country and they worried that that would kind of like change the demographics that would threaten kind of like Hindus that's kind of what I get from it but when you kind of word it as it being religious diversity I think that that makes it feel a bit different doesn't it than saying like you know the amount of people who follow these different of religions in the country when you word it as religious diversity it instantly it sounds more positive to me so I think if you were to ask them do you think religious diversity is an asset I don't know maybe you'd have a bit more of a positive response than what you would have saying is the increasing number of like Muslims and people of other religions in your country a good thing or a bad thing I don't even know if I'm saying it makes sense yeah no I, I completely understand and it's difficult, isn't it, to sort of get your head around the idea of, you know, do we think religious diversity is an asset to India? And then obviously looking at the government's perspective, and obviously we've heard two sides of how the government has viewed this whole thing of India being a secular country. Um, another question to consider is, is do you think, you know, however, it can lead to problems that wouldn't arise in other countries that maybe aren't so religious or diverse? So, for example, the UK, do you think there's a, a difference there? Well, I think in every country, um, you know, you're never going to have someone just following Christianity or just following Islam in a country, you know. Um, and there's always going to be tensions, you know, like I'm sure there's tensions here in the UK. I'm trying to think of a particular example, but I can't off the top of my head. But, you know, there are going to be tensions, aren't there? Because when you've got people who follow different religions, you've got slightly different values. Um, but I think in a country like India, it's possibly on to a different extent than what it would be here in the UK, maybe, because you've got so many different religions. And I know we say, like, I think last episode we said, like, Jainism is like 4%, even though it's 4%, it's still so many people. And I think it would just arise more problems, especially when we said, you know, um, we've given examples of how it's so intertwined into their culture. If you've got loads of different religions then, and, you know, your the very core of your culture goes against kind of the values of those religions, then it's going to make it a little bit more difficult, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. And I was reading something like as well, that the values of Hinduism and Islam kind of, they clash a bit. I'm not too sure how, like, you know, true that is. I didn't look into that further. But, you know, if that is like true, that's obviously going to cause a lot of problems, isn't it? Especially with Islam being the fastest growing religion and Hinduism being the biggest religion in, in India. You know, it's going to cause problems, maybe problems that we wouldn't see here in the UK because, you know, we don't have that particular situation. Mm-hmm. It is. It's difficult, isn't it, to sort of think to the situation here in the UK and sort of comparing and contrasting and finding similarities and differences. Um, it's difficult because sometimes that, sometimes similarities can't be found, you know, and you, you can't really compare easily, you know, two countries because situations are very different. And I think that's that's the case potentially with of the UK and India is, you know, we find ourselves in, in yeah, potentially just quite different sort of situations. Um, that's not saying that there aren't, you know, potentially, um, I don't know, religious situations that we have here that we sort of, I know, sort of come up in the news at times and, and things like that. But um, it's hard, isn't it, to sort of compare? And, and obviously, like I've said, I said at the start, I'm not a particularly religious person. So maybe I'm just completely unaware of the situation here in the UK with regards to the different religions and um, and that sort of thing. Um, it's, it's yeah, it's interesting. And um, 
I think it does yeah depend does depend on how sort of exposed you are to religion and different religions and how religious you are yourself and that means that you'll probably have a specific opinion and yeah like I've said I'm not 100% sure Um, everything I'm saying is from a sort of an outside perspective looking in Um, but yeah I mean this this whole idea of comparison is interesting isn't it and like we've said trying to find a similar example in the UK might give us a bit more clarity on the situation in India because we might be able to understand if there's, if there's a similar situation here, we might sort of be able to compare. But yeah, I mean, above all, it's just um, this has been a massive education for me, really, just finding out so much more about uh, the you know religious diversity in India. Um, but what, th- what some, one thing I thought would be interesting to go on to next was the uh, the two nation theory, uh, which I personally don't know what the two nation theory is. So I just wondered, do you know what this is? Yeah, so I didn't know what this was before researching it, and I think it just it's a really good thing to put uh, to use put into perspective and to con- into context what we've just been speaking about on how having so many kind of just religions residing in a country although it's it's an amazing thing and it has many benefits I think this is an example of um how we can actually make it a bit more difficult if it's not balanced right so the two nation theory um is the thought that Muslims and Hindus are two separate nations. They have their own customs, their own religions and traditions. Therefore, from social and moral points of view, Muslims should be able to have their own separate homeland outside of Hindu-majority India, in which Islam is the dominant religion. Interesting. I mean, I really, I did not know this at all. The fact that, according to the theory, Muslims and Hindus are two separate nations you know nations is a, is a is a big word you know yeah. nations is it suggests very you know dis, uh, it, it suggests a lot of distance between the two you yeah. know and obviously you're saying with regards to customs religion traditions so i you know does this surprise me yeah i mean i like i said i never heard of the, the two nation theory before and um yeah this whole idea, idea of two separate nations seems to be yeah creating a lot of distance between the two um yeah, and it was sort of maybe I think it might show the sort of more complicated side of diversity. What do you think? You know, this idea that if it's showing these two separate nations with their own customs, traditions, religion, um, do you think it complicates, uh, you know, India's religious diversity somewhat? Well, I think for a kind of like a theory to come out like that, there has to be this feeling um, within the country that is just not working you know having these different religions residing together aren't working isn't working and I mean I don't know personally again a thing to keep in mind is you know how widespread this theory was you know that's the thing like maybe it wasn't that popular maybe it was um, and even if like even if for example if it's taught in schools or whatever that it, it, it is popular again it's, it's important to keep in mind isn't it and I think what has really taught us this episode of what we've spoken about is that while things are like the way that things look at first it might not be the way that things plan out isn't it um, so that's important to keep in mind there but I think it, it really just goes to show even the fact that we're talking about this it does go to show that you know it's there's got to be this feeling of we really it's just not really not compatible for these particular um religions to reside together in India or it's it's rather the fact that they don't feel both welcome there there's this idea of um the two nation theory um obviously well it's 
being known as the the ideology of, of, of Pakistan. Um, so the man who founded Pakistan, uh, Lahore Muhammad Ali Jinnah, was was the one who gave a speech setting out the need for a separate state for Muslims. And in his own words, he said, it is a dream that Hindus and Muslims can ever evolve a common nationality. He said, Hindus and Muslims belong to two different religious philosophies, social customs and literary traditions. They neither uh, intermarry nor eat together. And indeed they belong to two different civilizations which are based mainly on conflicting ideas and conceptions. So had you heard of this, um, this sort of ideology of, of Pakistan before and, and how important do you think this is to know within the wider context of this, this two nation theory? I personally, I hadn't heard of it before, and I was like, I was really surprised to to find out about it. And like, you know, you look at, at India and you think it's such a religious, like, diverse country, and then to think like when you go further into this, you know, that something like this has happened, and that that part of it has formed, like, you know, the formation of another country because of that reason. You know, I know, like, we always want to to show. A good side of the country don't we um and we could have sat here today speaking about like all of the little things to do with all of the religions in India but I think what's more important to talk about is the things that maybe we wouldn't have known before that would give us a different perspective mm-hmm. and like yeah. I don't I wouldn't want to think that this gives people a negative view of religion in India but rather just being more educated on it um you know and as I said I personally didn't know this it does give me a different perspective on it um Mm -hmm. and I think it's I think it's really important to know you know if something like this has led to or has formed part of a formation of a country I think that is something that can change your perspective of of things and then just a little bit sort of more information about about this so this two-nation theory as it came to be known has become the official Pakistani narrative for the creation of a state and key to how Pakistan oh sorry (laughs) I'll read that again. Uh, so just a little bit more sort of information about the two nation theory. So as it sort of came to, to be known, uh, it, it's become the official Pakistani narrative for the creation of the state and key to how Pakistan defines itself. Uh, and it's even what they teach in schools. So Pakistan was perhaps the first country to be formed on the basis, not of a common ethnicity or language, but in fact, religion. Yet at the same time, it is not and has never been a, a theocracy. Um, and also this um, this led to mass emigration of roughly 10 million Muslims to Pakistan and nearly as many Hindus and Sikhs from Pakistan into India. This event changed, um, changed the demographics of both countries significantly and is continually felt throughout India. So it's interesting, isn't it? It's not just, um, you know, it's not just religion we're talking about here. We're talking about, you know, people actively moving countries because of their religion. Doesn't that sort of highlight the the sort of the, I don't know if severity is the right word, but sort of the, yeah, the severity or the sort of the importance in understanding about just how much of an impact that these differences of religion has had on on people's lives. You know, the fact that they've they've actively moved countries. Yeah, I mean, we can sit here all day and we can say all of these facts, you know, like, again, going back to that thing where we're speaking about secularism and you said it seemed great, you know, but it's, we can look at those facts and then not think about it anymore but you know even just seeing the fact that they've they felt that they've had to move country that just shows the other side of it doesn't it I mean there's only so much that we can see and and learn from facts I think we can actually learn more from the actions of people and I think the fact that you know 
mass emigration of roughly 10 million Muslims to Pakistan, I think that says more than any facts that we've read out. You know, that implies more than anything how maybe they've been made to feel unwelcomed. Yeah, you know, definitely. And and I mean, we've got a bit a bit of a sort of more information about the Hindu-Muslim tensions. And obviously it's quite evident uh, from what we've discussed so far that there clearly are some tensions. So um, the other religions popular in India, such as Buddhism, Sikhism and, and Jainism, are closely linked to Hinduism. However, Islam is not and their values often clash. Most of India's 140 million Muslims are descended from local converts. Many of them converted to Islam to escape Hindu upper caste oppression. Islam gave the message of universal brotherhood, introduced equality in society, rejected the caste system, which was, as we've discussed, a vital part in Hinduism, and untouchability. In due course, these ideas began to have a conscious or unconscious effect upon the philosophical, no, philosophical, um, against absolutely. Philosophical. 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 So in due course, these ideas began to have a conscious or unconscious effect upon the philosophical Hindu mind and fostered the growth of liberal movements under religious reformers. Also, British policies such as the 1909 decision to give Indian Muslims a separate electorate from Hindus in local elections, as well as the British role in India's 1947 partition, are cited as proof of this policy to sow conflict between Indians. So again, just finding out just more information about this sort of idea of the Hindu-Muslim tensions. And um, yeah, I mean, how important is this sort of um you know background sort of information into sort of fully understanding the tensions that are in place today between the hindu people and and the muslim people i think like it's so easy to just look at it naively isn't it and to not see this behind it i mean i really think stuff like this it's how much you know varies from person to person i was speaking to my friend about it and just to put this into context, this is the person who said that they speak Brazilian and Brazil and Indian in India. So I wasn't expecting to have a very uh, stimulating conversation about this, for the less I say that. Um, and she actually said that she knew about um, that there was tensions that she wasn't surprised when I was saying this and she knew a bit about it. But she wouldn't have been able to say the stuff that we've just been speaking about. And personally, I didn't even know this existed, you know. Um, so I think the amount of people know it it really varies but I think it's it's so vital to know isn't it like because it's so easy to just look at things naively and by looking at things naively you never see the problems that exist and if you never see the problems that exist then you can never solve them yeah you you've 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 nailed it absolutely in terms of um you know I feel like having more of an understanding of exactly you know what religions there are in India and obviously the tensions that are existing and the types of you know systems like the caste system for example all of this information is so vital in sort of just understanding and educating ourselves about you know this religious diversity you know in India and um, there's so much to it right it's never just what's happening in the present day there's so much history to it there's so much deep-rooted you know yeah history and sort of culture and traditions and festivals that have shaped India today in terms of how it is as a you know a deeply religious country um so it's just over, above all just very important to educate ourselves and as I always say I've learned so much today about, about it all um I just thought we'd, we'd finish up by talking about the the Kashmir conflict um do you want to sort of give some context to this conflict because I think it obviously adds to what we've talked about so far in providing a bit of context to to um to sort of the, the tensions that we've discussed 
Yeah, so India's um, petition and the conflict over Kashmir, which is a Muslim-majority princely state ruled by um, a Hindu dynasty, were driven by local interests and philosophy, including the two-nation theory. So Kashmir is an ethically diverse Himalayan region, and under the petition plan provided by the Indian Independence Act, it was free to either go to India or to Pakistan. And originally it was going to be made independent, but it was then later given to India, which eventually then resulted in war. So for three decades, there has been an armed revolt against the Indian rule of the region, which has claimed uh, hundreds of thousands of lives. And for decades, Kashmir has had a unique position in India. So under um, Article 370 in the Constitution, it has given the region a large amount of autonomy. So it's had its, its own constitution, its own flag and independence, except in terms of foreign affairs, defence and communications. But this was reversed um, as the governing party, which as we spoke about before, the, B, uh, the BGP, it promised in its 2019 manifesto. And again, these are um, a Hindu, a Hindu nationalist party. And again, in Kashmir, it is predominantly a Muslim uh, pop, uh, population. So also recently, I was reading about this the other day as well. Telephone networks and the internet have been cut off in the region in the days before the presidential order was announced. Um, public gatherings were banned and tens of thousands of troops were sent in and tourists were told to leave Kashmir under warnings of a terrorist threat. And especially now over this these last few months and maybe I don't know if maybe this last few years as well uh, last year sorry uh, many of these measures have tried to be said by the government that they're just being um, used as coronavirus measures. Um, but they're actually not. At least that's what I've got from it anyway. So, yeah, and many people in this region, they do not want to be part of India. They would either prefer to be independent or with Pakistan. And lots of people feel that religion is the driving force behind this, um, as, you know, more than 60% of their population is Muslim uh, and that makes it the only state within India where Muslims are in the majority and if the government were successful um, their critics believe that their aim is to change the state's demographics allowing people from the rest of the country which is of course is predominantly Hindu to live there. I mean again this just provides such a deeper and like sort of understanding doesn't it to, to the whole situation and I'm, I'm sure there are lots of different you know examples that we could discuss but this one's particularly important I think in providing us you know with that I think just understanding of of what's going on nowadays you know it's um it's something that is shaping India today and obviously the, you know the conflicts over Kashmir and obviously the conflicts between India and, and Pakistan um, and obviously religion playing a big role in this, you know, I think above all, it just, again, provides so much sort of context and information to, to the, the topic of religion, as we've been talking about throughout this whole episode about religion in India. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's just really interesting, isn't it, to educate ourselves and, and sort of realize, you know, what's going on. And there's always so much to it, you know, whether it's all, all these sort of this idea of like this constitution or whether the role of the governments and the role of the people and how they're feeling, you know, and, and obviously we could probably spend a whole episode on this Kashmir conflict and we've just sort of discussed 
the main points about it but you know I'm sure there are lots of people with lots of different opinions um and it's just keeping that in mind isn't it when we sort of when we sort of uh understand this but you know it's it's it forms a massive part of what's going on in the present day in India in terms of, um, you know, the, it's religious diversity and, um, and yeah, sort of ongoing conflicts. I think it really just shows how it's so important to just not look at things and again, not ask why and to look deeper into things, because if you were to just look at religion in India, you would just be like, oh, there's loads of religions in India, that's great. And yeah, it's great, but there's always another side to it. And as I've said, you know, before, if you don't see the other side, if you don't see the other problems, then obviously we can't solve them. And, you know, then they're only ever going to get worse if you can't can't solve them. So I think it's just, it's a clear message that take out of this is to just never look at things and not look into it anymore. You know, there's always more to find out. And again, it goes back to that thing with secularism with you. You know, it's only when we see that other thing that we can kind of see the bigger picture. Because if we can't see a bigger picture, then we can only see a distorted picture. And that mm-hmm. is that is a lot where, you know, um, extra problems come out of that. Then when we can't see the whole picture, um, you know, when we see a distorted picture, then, you know, the problem only becomes enlarged in a way. Yeah, like you said, it's always important to keep in mind the bigger picture and and to not just form an opinion on one piece of information or one article or one, you know, one bit of the media that said one thing, you know, keeping that um, open mind that there's a lot to understand um, within religion in India. And, um, you know, we've only scratched the surface really today, haven't we, about discussing religion in India. Um, Of course, we could speak for hours and hours, but for the purposes of sort of a podcast, I know we've sort of kept it as brief as we possibly can, whilst also trying to make sure that we're detailed in, in what we say and what we discuss and sort of making sure we can try and inform as, you know, people as much as possible in terms of what's happened in the past in terms of India and its religions, but also what's happening in like the present day and, and, and sort of what religion and the religious diversity is like now in India. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been very eye-opening, I think for me and sort of given me again, more of an education, um, today about about you know religion in India and I hope the listeners have, have found it really interesting. Yes yeah, so next week we're going to look at linguistic diversity in India and I think it's going to be really interesting to kind of see why there are so many languages in India that's something that comes to mind when I think of that um, and just you know the role that that plays in India and you know how it all came about so that's going to be uh, quite interesting to look at next week. Yeah, definitely. So thank you so much again for listening. As always, we really appreciate all your, all your support with this podcast. Uh, don't forget to leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. It helps us out a lot um, to uh, to get this podcast out to as many people as possible. So yeah, a massive thank you for listening and see you next week.